0: Father God, I thank you for this day, Lord. I thank you for your word. Father, I would ask on this day that you would give me insight and wisdom to your word and that those who are watching and listening would be able to ascertain uh, what your word is saying on this day and in this hour. We thank you in Jesus' name for all that's been done on our behalf. Amen. Well, welcome back to The Word Encounter, episode 116. We concluded with the book of Proverbs yesterday. And so today we're going to pick up uh, the book of Ecclesiastes Ecclesiastes um, uh, is an interesting book um, uh, It's written by Solomon uh, at least the majority of people think it's written by Solomon and it is um, it's it, it can be confounding in some ways because sometimes Solomon sounds like he's involved in double speak and you're not exactly sure what he's saying but we have to remember that King Solomon was a human being. And um, he was uh, chronicling his experiences in life and and trying to figure things out. Even uh, at an older age, he was still trying to figure this thing called life out. And so he seems to have conflicting ideas at times. And I can certainly relate to what Solomon is going through mentally, as uh, a lot of things that he has thought about and written about in Ecclesiastes, I've also thought about and pondered and marinated on and wondered and And um, and many things I still do uh, involve myself in that sort of activity. Um, And sometimes it can involve circular thinking where you just uh, think in circles. You're not sure what the deal is. Uh, At the end of the day, um, there are many things, uh, many mysteries of the Lord that uh, I don't believe anybody understands, and and that's where faith comes in. You just have to believe that what he says is true. And so... um, uh, let me just read here uh, what Tony Evans has written in the introduction, or part of the introduction to Ecclesiastes. He says, This book is a big deal because in it we find a man who made huge mistakes that would eventually split his entire kingdom. It's important for us to grab hold of this book and learn from Solomon's mistakes as we build our families and apply God's uh, kingdom principles to our lives today. That, in fact, was what Solomon wanted his readers to do because he finishes the book by talking about the importance of getting God into the picture early in life. And so Solomon never stopped pondering um, and he never stopped thinking and he he made a lot of mistakes. Now one of the things we have to remember as we're going through uh, Ecclesiastes is that this is obviously the Old Testament this is prior to Jesus. And so Solomon did not have uh, that knowledge at hand. He didn't know about Jesus. And so um, Jesus puts a lot of things in perspective for us that the people in the Old Testament times did not have. And so with that, let us go on to chapter one. If you look at my word, I'm going to show you my Bible here. For those that are on the podcast, you can't see it, but maybe you can see it here. Basically... Uh, at least early on in Ecclesiastes, I've highlighted practically every verse because it, it just speaks. It speaks, it speaks. And so here we go. Um, the subtitle uh, to this section in chapter one says, Everything is futile. <laughs> Everything is futile. And so, uh, chapter one, verse one The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Absolutely futility, or absolute futility, says the teacher. Absolute futility. Everything is futile. What does a person gain for all his efforts that he labors under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets. Panting, it returns to the place where it rises. Gusting to the south, turning to the north, turning, turning goes the wind, and the wind returns to its cycles or in the rent and the wind returns in its cycles all the streams flow to the sea yet the sea is never full you ever i've all i've wondered that before everything you know you have these tributaries that flow into into bodies of water but they never fill up Now of course there's evaporation i understand that but it's just uh, it's just something that you know people ponder all the streams uh, flow to the sea yet the sea is never full to the place where the streams flow uh, there they flow again all things are worrisome more than anyone can say the eye is not satisfied by seeing or the ear filled with hearing what has been done uh, what what has been is what will be and what has been done is what will be done There is nothing new under the sun. This is something I try to explain to my kids when they're thinking, well, Dad, things are different today. Well, no, they aren't. Technology is different, but there is nothing new under the sun as far as man's motivation, man's character, or anything like that. That doesn't change. Technology changes, technology allows us to leverage some things that we couldn't leverage before, but there's nothing new under the sun. Let's see, what has been is what will be, and uh, what has been done is what will be done. There's nothing new under the sun. Verse 10, can one say about anything, look, this is new, it has already existed in the ages before us. Well, yeah, we can say that about certain technological innovations, but again, as far as man's character, man's uh, uh, actions, or anything like that, uh, nothing's new. There are... Despots today, there are, they are uh, drastically evil people today. There were drastically evil people yesterday. There were drastically evil people centuries ago. And so we've leveraged our ability in order to, uh, to bring about harm to other people. And so one person can com- uh, commit acts that will affect more people. But their character and nature, man's character and nature, hasn't changed. It's the same. Verse 11. There is no remembrance of those who came before and of those who will come after. There will also be no remembrance by those who follow them. See, so Solomon's going through this thought process. You know, nothing's new. People come, people go. Now, when you're here, you might have a little bit of something, but when you die, nobody's going to remember you. So what difference does it make? The subheading here says the limits of wisdom. In verse 12, I, the teacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem, I applied my mind to examine and explore through the wisdom all that is done under the sun. God has given people this miserable task to keep them occupied. That's kind of cynical. (laughs) Verse 14, I have seen all things that are done under the sun and have found everything to be futile, a pursuit of the wind. So Solomon's saying, look, I've been king. I've had riches. I've had everything. I've seen everything there is to see under the sun, and it's all meaningless. Verse 16, I said to myself, see, I have amassed wisdom far beyond all those who were over Jerusalem before me, and my mind has thoroughly grasped wisdom, wisdom and knowledge. I applied my mind to know wisdom and knowledge, madness and folly. See, he, he, he said wisdom and knowledge on one end, madness and folly on the other end. I've, I've seen the whole spectrum. I learned that this too is a pursuit of the wind. In saying that, he's kind of equating the two as far as their importance is concerned. Verse 18, for with much wisdom is much sorrow. As knowledge increases, grief increases. And I can see how that would be the case. As as your knowledge and wisdom increases and you realize what people should and should not be doing, it grieves your heart when you see people purposely ignoring that which is wise. In chapter 2, the emptiness of pleasure. I said to myself, go ahead, I will test you with pleasure, enjoy what is good, but it turned out to be futile. So Solomon says, okay, I said to myself, okay, everything that I think is um, pleasurable, I'm going to indulge in it to see what that does for me. His conclusion, it's futile. I said about laughter, it is madness and about pleasure, what does this accomplish? (laughs) I explored with my mind the pull of wine on my body. My mind's still guiding me with wisdom. In other words, he says, I'm a partaker partake of wine, but I'm, I'm not getting drunk. I'm still going to be, you know, cognizant of everything that's going on um, and how to grasp folly until I could see what is good for people to do under heaven during the few days of their lives. And so he's saying that I'm, I'm going to explore all of this stuff and I'm trying to determine what is good for people uh, while they're alive under heaven. You know, because I'm not, I'm not finding it right now. I'm trying to figure out, you know, what the purpose of this whole thing of life is. The emptiness of possessions. Verse four, I increased my achievements. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I built, I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made gardens and parks for my, for myself and planted every kind of fruit tree in them. I constructed reservoirs for myself, um, from which to irrigate the grove of flourishing trees. I acquired male and female servants and had slaves who were born in my house. I also own livestock, large herds and flocks, more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. I also amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I gathered male and female singers for myself and many concubines, the delights of men. And so Solomon is saying, look, there's nothing that I haven't done, or there's nothing that men desire that I haven't done, that I haven't accomplished, that I haven't acquired. You know, I've done all these things, silver, gold, uh, slaves, and a bazillion concubines. And it says, here's the delights of men. And so, in verse 9, so I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. My wisdom also remained, uh, remained with me. Verse 10, all that my eyes desired, I did not... I did not deny them everything he saw that was desirable to him. He didn't deny himself. I did not refuse myself any pleasure for I took pleasure uh, in all my struggles. This was my reward for all my struggles. And so Solomon is essentially justifying all his pleasures because he had all these struggles. And so as, as payment for my struggles, I'm going to partake in all the pleasures I mean, I don't know. Maybe some, maybe some have, but I would assume that most people have involved themselves in this kind of justification. I know I have. I work hard. I should be able to get what I want. You know, I do. You know, we go through this inner justification, um, particularly when we think that if we're going to partake in a pleasure that may not be righteous then we want to come up with a with a very good reason to convince ourselves that we are desiring uh, that we are deserving i should say of such a pleasure all that my eyes desired i did not deny them i did not refuse myself any pleasure for i took pleasure in all for i took pleasure in all my struggles This was my reward for my struggles. When I considered all that I had accomplished and what I had labored to achieve, I found everything to be futile in a pursuit of the wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. And so again, Solomon is coming back to the same conclusion. He says, I had all these struggles and I worked hard. And so therefore, I allowed myself access to all these pleasures. Anything my eye desired, anything my heart desired, I had. But at the end of the day, it was futile it still didn't make any difference. See, he's searching for the meaning of life. And what he's finding is that these pleasures are impotent. They don't have the power to grant over and infuse, if you will, contentment in one who is searching for the meaning of this thing we call life. And so when people are are engaging in things in order to try to satisfy that desire, you know, why am I here? What is my purpose? You know, all of these questions that we can ask ourselves and these things, these pleasures don't have the power in order to address those questions. Then we can become despondent because we're we're thinking that, okay, I'm going to pursue this pleasure and this pleasure has the power to satisfy this inner drive in me. And it doesn't. And so Solomon is coming to these conclusions in verse 12. Then I turn to consider wisdom. Oh, the, the subhead says the relative value of wisdom. Verse twelve. Then I turn to consider wisdom, madness and folly. Uh, for what will for what will the king's successor be like? Will he do what has already been done? And I realize that there is an advantage to wisdom over folly, like the advantage of light over darkness. Verse fourteen. The person, uh, the wise person, has eyes in his head, but the fool works, walks in darkness. Yet I also knew that one fate comes, comes to them both." You got the fool and the wise one, and Solomon said, yeah, that's true, but, but the same fate is there for both of them. Verse 15, So I said to myself, what happens to the fool will also happen to me. Why then have I been overly wise? And I said to myself, that is also futile. And so what Solomon is saying, he's, he's calling his wisdom futile because he's going to end up in the same place as the foolish one. And he's talking about the grave. You know? And again, he doesn't have the wisdom of understanding God's plan because Jesus has not yet come. and so But he's just considering all this, all the natural things that we see, all the physical things that we see. And he's considering this And he's weighing these things against each other and he's just using his mind and his intellect to try and rationalize what the situation is he has no spirit see there's no holy spirit within him in order to help discern what's going on because he hasn't come yet yet i also know the uh, the same fate comes to both what happens to the fool and it says um verse 16 For just like uh, for just like the fool, there is no lasting remembrance of the wise, Hmm. since in the days to come both will be forgotten. How is it that the wise person dies just like the fool? So again, (laughs) he's questioning. Therefore, I hated life because the work that was done under the sun was distressing to me for everything is futile in a pursuit of the wind. And so Solomon starts to he says, I hate life because I can't see where the where the righteous, where the wise have the advantage over the fool because they both end up in the same place again have to emphasize there's no understanding here of eternity because Jesus has not yet come and so if that component was in there then Solomon would have to consider some other things that he can't consider here because he doesn't know about them. in verse 18 it says the emptiness of work I hated all my work that I labored at uh, under the Sun because I must leave it to the one who comes after me And who knows whether he will be uh, wise or a fool. Yet he will take over all of my work that I have labored at skillfully under the sun. This too is futile. So he's saying, look, I done worked hard, built all this stuff, and I'm going to leave it to some fool that comes after me, and it's all going to be taken and destroyed. Yeah, this, this, this is futile. This doesn't make any sense. Verse 20 So I began to give myself over to despair concerning all my work that I had labored at under the sun. So he starts thinking about all that he's done. He starts feeling despaired because uh, he he concludes that what I do is irrelevant because it's all going to be destroyed anyway. When there is a person whose work was done with wisdom, knowledge and skill, he must give his portion to a person who has not worked for it. This, too, is futile and a great wrong. For what does a person get with all his work and all his efforts that he labors at under the sun? For all his days are filled with grief and uh, his occupation is sorrowful. Even at night, his mind uh, does not rest. This too is futile. Verse 24, there is nothing better for a person than to eat, drink and enjoy his work. I have seen that even this is from God's hand because who can eat? and who can enjoy life apart from him. For to to the person who is pleasing in his sight, he gives wisdom, knowledge, and joy, but to the sinner he gives a task um, of gathering and accumulating in order to give to the one who is pleasing in God's sight. This too is futile in a pursuit of the wind. And so what we have here is Solomon seeing that God does grant us things, and and, and one of the things that uh, when I first got into the word and this was confusing me, and so what is Solomon trying to say? And so, so he says that um, there's nothing better than for a person to eat, drink, and enjoy his work. I have seen that even this is from God's hand. God wants us to enjoy things of His creation. Now, there, there's there, there's some philosophies out there that that uh, present a theology that. Um, those who follow the Lord are to be beaten down, life is to uh, basically uh, run them over um, and, and just a miserable existence here on this earth. But I don't believe that to be true. I believe that God has created good things for his children, things for his children to enjoy. The caution is that we are not to look for meaning in those things that we are enjoying. You see, we aren't to look at, at possessions, be they houses, cars, whatever, um, fine foods or, or wine or whatever, we aren't, aren't to look at those things as an ends in of themselves. You know, they are there for our enjoyment, for our pleasure, but they are not there to answer these deep questions of life. They don't exist. They are not there so that we will pursue them because they are empty. They don't have the ability. They don't have the power to deliver meaning to our life. Only God can do that. And nothing is to take place of the Lord because anything that supersedes the Lord's in our minds is, uh, is called an idol. You see? And so if you're, if you're pursuing money at all costs and, and that is what's guiding you in, money is an idol to you. But if you just put money in its proper perspective, you don't elevate it above God, money is a tool, you use it you know, to enjoy some of the pleasures that God has created for us to enjoy, but it never takes the place of God, and that goes for anything else, nothing supersedes the importance of God in our life, then these things are there for us to enjoy, but not to take the place of, and that is the caveat. That is the difficult part. Because in many, many, many circumstances that's exactly what happens. And so we need to be on the lookout for that uh, so that we don't allow ourselves to give ourselves over to the pleasures of life and start, um, uh, those pleasures start ruling and reigning over our behavior and, and, and over um, our efforts. And that's where the, the danger lies. And so with that, we're going to pick it up in chapter three tomorrow. Um, the mystery of time. And so, uh, I just thank you for joining me in the word encounter and we are going to pick it up tomorrow in chapter three and everybody have a blessed day. Bye-bye.